This is the first episode of Modaku, which of course is our series dedicated to anime. Each week, uh, each of us will be selecting an anime title, whether it's a TV show or a movie or something. I'm not really sure. I don't know. Uh, and we'll be discussing it in depth, just like Music Mayhem, but with, uh, you know, uh, giant swords and girls and schoolgirl outfits. Right now, I am here. Uh, as always, with Father Chuck. Always. I'm always here. I go nowhere. I sit in front of this computer <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just waiting for the little green dot on Skype to light up, because that's all I do. It is. He lives for this podcast, folks. I do. I eat, breathe, drink this podcast. <laughs> and now that we're talking about anime, <laughs> we'll probably never stop recording. I'm going to leave, and he's just going to keep on going. Because I'm... I'm a weeb. I'm owning it. That's the that's right. Isn't that supposed to be the whole saga? The, like the the B the B story of Modaku is me just coming to terms with my with my weebness. Yeah, you embracing the weebness and me just sort of becoming more uh, ex- more more open to anime and and probably just animated films in general because I'm so we, uh... I'm so cold on them. We probably, for the benefit of some of our more uh, recent and newer listeners who might not know what the term weeb, weebo means. Are you sure they don't? <laughs> I feel like we've talked about it a lot. I don't know. I don't know. Well, well why don't you go ahead? Tell them. Well, what does it mean? It's, a, it, it, it's somebody who really likes Japan in, <laughs> in, in, a, in a way that is comical. And somewhat alienating from their other friends. Um, the white guy who <laughs> likes Japanese things. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, but I mean, how, I don't, I don't see how anyone can blame the weeb. Uh, Japanese culture is, uh, from an outsider's point of view, is pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Especially when you grow up somewhere like in the West, uh, an American culture, because it's like it's it's almost it's it's this it's it's the same, but very different, very different in some places where it's like, you know, we, we've talked about sort of the hyper-capitalism, both very super-capitalist societies, but from very different approaches, it seems. Right, and they've, and, and in a lot of ways, it's it's sort of, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of Eastern interpretation of American Western culture, and I guess that's that filter that makes it fascinating for a lot of people. Yeah, I've been wondering this for a while, and I, I heard it before. I don't know if I'm my brain is making it up. Maybe you know. Isn't there like a, a Japanese economist who kind of like helped Japan like get to where they are today, like after World War II? Um, kind of like helped accelerate things? Am I yeah, just he's like... an American. He was an American economist who helped Japan in the post-war economy and he's basically used post-war Japan as a laboratory for his cockamamie ideas. Really? And so the, the, the stereotype of the Japanese salaryman, he created. Really? This, yeah, this like the, the whole idea of the sort of overworked dude who dies at his desk. Hmm. That guy was created by an American 
economist. I can't remember the guy's name, but he appears on at least one of the yen notes, I think. I mean, he's a pretty like celebrated figure in I mean, that he instilled like a hyper part of a hyper version of the Protestant work ethic into Japanese culture. And it really I mean, that that's where the where they call it the Japanese miracle largely resulted from all of this, that Japan went from being this. I mean, Tokyo had been burned to the ground and now it's like the future. <laughs> Interesting. So, folks, that's a weeb, what you just witnessed. Um <laughs> I didn't mean to illustrate a point, but it just kind of <laughs> happened. <laughs> I was actually thinking like I had made this person up, but apparently it was real, and you knew all about it. <laughs> I did know, all except about the guy's it. name. But <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, but like, I, but also, let's be honest. It is a there. It is a criticism because as it leads into the movie we're going to talk about, the movie is about, in some ways, Japan. Japan's reaction to hmm. that post-war development. Right. And uh, hold on just one second. We seem to have a, an incoming transmission. And Hello. Occasional Matt has arrived. Uh, we were just talking about uh, what a weave is. We described it. Uh, Chuck illustrated what a weave is in, in just beautiful detail. Um <laughs> But now we're we're moving on to uh, talk about this week's title for our first episode of Modaku, and it is going to be My Neighbor Totoro. Jungle Boy, it's the good time fly high fantasy you've been looking for. It's a journey that will take you to heights you've always dreamed about. Hang on tight to My Neighbor Totoro. They're furry. They're cuddly, they're huge, and they're loud, and most of all, they're lovable. And there was a little one, and one this big, and a great big one. But to grown-ups, you don't believe me, they're invisible. <laughs> Enter a beautiful new world of enchantment. Where your house turns out to be a magical playground. And your neighbor is a magical Totoro. It's the fantasy that's bigger than your imagination. You'll never forget your ride on the 12-legged cat bus. Wasn't an umbrella he took with him, Daddy's? It's the roller coaster thrill of a lifetime. You'll laugh with Totoro. You'll cry with Totoro. Best of all, you'll fly with Totoro. Since the time you were small, you've dreamed of adventures this tall. Now, the new classic children's storybook flies to life on the screen. From world-renowned master animation director Hayao Miyazaki. An animated adventure for children of all ages. My neighbor, Totoro. Uh, which we announced last week. Chuck. Yeah. Why did you choose My Neighbor Totoro to be the very first episode of Madaku? Uh, because I'm a cheater. You're a cheater? Why is it cheating? 
Because it's like one of the most universally acclaimed films. I'm assuming it's like picking Citizen Kane to talk about movies. But it's also, I think it's, I, part of it well, is, is just that, I mean, it's Miyazaki. I mean, he is just a, he is a legend in the world of, of animation. Um, this movie has had such a huge impact on a lot of people, both East and West. Um, the character of Totoro has become about as beloved, as I, as I understand, as like Winnie the Pooh for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also picked it because, uh, as we talked a little bit last week, there is a stereotype about anime. And I felt that this is a movie that, one, breaks the stereotype because there is not a robot to be seen in the thing. Right, yeah. Um, and the storytelling is different. It's very quiet. It's a very quiet movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that it would be a good for someone who's never watched anime this would be a really good ease into the medium while also getting the sense that this is a very different perspective in terms of storytelling and the world that's that it's inhabited it's a very japanese movie not like say like you know like kiki's delivery service or some of the other um ghibli films which are set in europe um This is set in rural Japan, and it deals with some Shinto ideas. And it's great. also just a great example of, of the hallmarks of Japanese animation. How did you discover My Neighbor Totoro? Um, I had always wanted to see it. Um, I had uh, probably first discovered it at the department store at, J- at the Japan Pavilion in Epcot, uh, okay. which is a pilgrimage site for my people. Uh, <laughs> nice. And um, and I just knew that of the of the Miyazaki films, it was a really beloved movie. And so I really wanted to see it because I had never seen it. And my experience with anime had always been like the very sci fi type things. And I thought also because I had when I first wanted to really watch it, I had small children. And I thought this would be a great thing for them to introduce them to Mm -hmm. this medium and to the storytelling and. We, we got it on um, through Netflix and watched it on DVD. And my kids couldn't stop watching it. Yeah. And I, I since bought the Blu-ray. Um, and, um, and watching it on Blu-ray was like, after watching it several times on DVD, like to see it in Blu-ray was like, it was yeah, top. Um, but it's just, um, yeah, so I, I found it through, just sort of through osmosis and being around, you know, you know, Japanophile things, um, and finally decided to check it out with my kids. And you know, it's a movie that they've watched numerous times. And I think I said last week, it's one of the only movies that they will just sit down and watch it in its entirety and not talk during it, not get up and run around. They will just they will digest the movie. And I just and I just and I just love it as a result of that. And I love it for its atmosphere and you know, just for a number of things. I can see this movie being like just like grabbing the attention of a child mm-hmm. and just like not letting go because there's just so much to look at. <laughs> there's so much detail, like so much going on. And, you know, the way Miyazaki just kind of like lingers on shots, right. scenes go on for a very long time, but they're not like boring. It's like you can look at it and just be like, well, this is like something beautiful to look at. When I was a kid, one of my favorite movies was the the Black Stallion, and 
I don't know that it was intended to be like a kids movie, but it pretty much was accepted to be a kids movie when, when around that time. And it's about like a boy who gets stranded on an island with a horse. The horse is like wild, and he's trying to tame it. <clears throat> and it's just like a beautifully made movie. It's so much of it is told through like the sound and music, and that's like what I remember the most are the sounds and the music. Um, just like a perfect example of like I think children need art. <laughs> that's right. not just like commercial. What I when I when I realized that. It's, it's weird. When I watched the movie for the first time, when I realized that I was watching something special, really special in terms of its craft, was things like, like Ebert notes this one, when they show the first shot of the little like river that's running in front of their house, mm-hmm. and there's just like an empty glass bottle that's been discarded into the water, and no commentary is made on it. It's just there, right? So just like little details were just interwoven into it. But when I really, the one that really sticks out to me is, the moment when the dad, when they go looking for May, when she first encounters Totoro, and there's this moment after they find her and they're having this conversation after they've gone through the tree tunnel and everything, and they went through the trouble of animating the dad slipping on the, his sandals, hmm. but you don't see him putting on his sandals. There's this little animation of him from like the waist up, and you could just see from his gestures, he's putting his sandals on. Interesting. The fact that they just went well, to the trouble to show that, to show there's something really special going on here in, a, in terms of craft. Well, another one is when they're waiting for the bus to arrive, mm-hmm. and the, the little sister notices the shrine that's way off in the woods, mm-hmm. and the water's dripping, and for some reason it worries her, and she turns and grabs her bigger sister and holds on. There's yeah. no explanation. There's no reason for why given, and... Honestly, if you're a little kid watching this movie, you're like, yeah, that, I would have scared the crap out of me, too, <laughs> even though there's no reason for why. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Uh, just another scene to agree with what you're saying. Yeah, so right. if you're a child, you're going to love it, but we're going to touch on big issues because you experience them, them, too, like fear, depression, worry, doubt. And if you're an adult, then we're going to take you back to your childhood so that you can realize, oh, yeah, I remember what it's like to actually experience fear, depression, doubt, without all the nonsense that filled our heads before we were smarter. You know, I, I, when I watching it with the boys, there were things that I picked up on that I probably would never have picked up on when I w- if I was a kid watching it. Like, for instance, you know, why are they moving, mm-hmm. right? Like, what's the situation? Yeah. And then when they get to this house, it's rotted and falling apart. So there's this indication that, like, money is a factor. Right. And... You know, I, I, I think as you kind of get into it, you realize they're moving in order there so that they can be closer. Well, two reasons, right? The mother has tuberculosis and which they don't say that in the movie. But that's if you study the history of the time period, there was like a tuber- tuberculosis outbreak. And so there was a, a people of a certain age. That was a common experience. Um, and so moving to the country for more fresh air while also being somewhat closer to the hospital where she's at. Um, is all the factors that are into well, it. But that's stuff that, like, as an adult, I'm, like, I'm thinking about the decision that the dad is making. And clearly, like, the dad's kind of overwhelmed with work. You know, there's a part where he's working late into the night while the girls are asleep. Like, he's trying to make this whole situation work while his mother, while his wife is, you know, sick and recovering. And that's all this stuff that they don't put front and center in right, the movie. Yeah. But as an adult, I notice it. Yeah, it hits me in the place, like, with, with my kids where, like, during this time of a pandemic, like, all this stuff that's going on, like, I've got my stresses, I've got my things, 
But at the same time, I'm watching my boys, you know, make, you know, this is their, you know, I'm not looking at it as like, oh my God, their childhood is stolen from them. Like, no, they're making out of it whatever they can, right? And they're yeah. having a good time in spite of all of these different things. Um, Cause that's what children do, right? right. May and Satsuki are having a good time playing with the fact that the, thing, that the roof is rotted on that like, that terrace thing is like rotted. They're like, oh, it's rotten. And they're shaking, playing with it and having a good time. You know, as a dad, it would be like, oh, it's super embarrassing. Like there's nothing I have to repair. <laughs> By kind of saying that it's haunted, you're kind of like, you're taking away from the fact that it's like a rundown house and turning it into right. something right. The dad magical. Putting a spin on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting about this movie is that it's, it's not, it's not that it's difficult to summarize. Um, it's just that if you summarized it, no, you're not really saying or revealing anything. <laughs> not really yeah, telling no, you what it's, it's about. It's, <laughs> it's not that it's not that it's difficult to summarize. It's that yeah. if you summarized it and said it, nobody would be interested. And the truth is, <laughs> watch the movie. You don't yeah. need to summarize it. Watch it because everything Chuck is saying is like drastically changing my world while he's talking. Yeah, because of the fact. <laughs> because of the fact that this is the first time I saw it. So like I part of what he's saying, I'm like, yeah, I picked up on that because I'm an adult with kids and I got stuff that I probably wouldn't have if I watched it sooner. But also while he's talking, he's saying things like, I didn't even think about that. Like the fact that the house being run down shows that money is a sign. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that. I just thought, Oh, you know, they're trying to be close as a family trying to do it. I didn't think about the fact that there's also medical bills involved with the mother. So he's got to pay for what's going on with her. So when he said the house is run down, shows that money's involved was like a slap in the face while I'm sitting here waiting to start talking about this movie because I'm like, (laughs) Holy crap. I didn't even think about that by playing into that trope of buying the rundown house. That's quote unquote haunted quote unquote has monsters around. Yeah. And then undercutting every aspect of haunted and monsters, it highlights in, in a way that I, I mean, you have to watch it, but it highlights why they bought it in the first place in a way that will just drastically like grab a hold of you and rip your heart out while you're watching this kid's movie. Why, why do you love this movie so much? Um, I love the atmosphere of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, absolutely that when i think of the movie i think of the 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 middle the middle sequence all right so the movie of course is set up in basically three chapters right each chapter is a month if you pay attention to the background you can see very background details you can see i only watched it once give me a break yeah sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it takes place over it takes place in a summer it starts in it starts in june and ends in august um the um, so the second in July, um, when the girl is coming home from school and the rainstorm comes and that whole sequence with rain, that yeah. whole bit from when the storm comes all the way to when the dad arrives in the bus is my favorite sequence in the entire movie. Um, mm-hmm. I, I instantly go back to this one day I remember in second grade when um, we as the day was ending from school, we heard thunder rolling outside and i remember we opened the doors to the classroom to let out and it the sky the orlando sky was darker than i've ever remembered it was so dark with an impending thunderstorm that the like the the timed lights that are set to come on when it gets dark outside like in the hallways of the school because it was an open air school that all turned on 
it was so dark and I'll never forget the downpour that came after that and just what it was like because I'd walk from my class over to my mom's office after school every day and because my mom worked on the same property as my school and so I in this movie I immediately go to that day of that feeling of the rain coming and what it was like to sort of feel you know being in a being in a enclosed space and watching the rain out the window or just that feeling of being in rain. I love rain. I love heavy rain. And so that whole sequence of them running, stopping at the uh, at the children's shrine, um, and then later going to the bus stop where they encounter the where they go to the fox shrine and um, have their encounter with Totoro and just that whole just the atmosphere of that. It just feels very like all the stuff that I've loved from my childhood. You know raindrops falling off of pine needles and the sound of rain slapping on an umbrella and I don't know just all of that just hits this place that I can't really articulate in words it's just a feeling it's it's visceral yeah the the sound design alone in this movie is visceral like the 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 footsteps on the wooden floors my favorite scene is exactly what you're talking about (laughs) when they're standing in the rain and it's an iconic scene apparently and he holds the umbrella and it's dripping on it and he gets that big smile and I'm like, why am I enjoying this right now? It makes no sense. Like, if you watch <laughs> it, it makes no sense. If I explain the scene to you, it makes no sense. Until Chuck just said what he said. And that's, I couldn't even put it into words, but the scene captured everything about childhood in the rain without a single word. Mm-hmm. It was animation, it was sound effects, and it pulled off something that touched on something deep inside of all of us as a kid without saying a word. I mean, you know, the big sister interjects here and there, but that has nothing to do with what we're talking about in the scene. The scene itself is the reaction of Totoro holding the umbrella and the bigger his smile gets when drops hit it till he jumps and all the rain falls and then it stops raining and he leaves like, okay, cool. I'm done now. I had fun. Um, he took my dad's umbrella. It just made sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much for bringing dad his umbrella. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, Matt, what are your thoughts on, on this movie? Just give me some general thoughts. Give me a thesis. Um, I have no thoughts. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I'm, my thoughts on this movie are uh, Chuck picked it. I said, I don't know what the crap this movie is, but okay, cool. I'm going to watch it. I looked up an image of it and said, well, I'm curious, but kind of what you expect based on just the image. And you said, watch it with your kids, which I entirely planned on doing, but didn't happen because I came home last night, planned on watching it with my son and daughter. And after an episode of the Mandalorian, because he's obsessed with it, I fell asleep at eight o'clock. I then woke up at midnight and I've been awake ever since. Yay. Hi. How's <laughs> it going? But so I watched this movie at three o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> I say all that to say, love this movie. Wish I got to watch it with them. And how I feel about the movie is every doubt I had when I looked at it and was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this whole. I'm going to do what? Three, at least three episodes on anime. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> and Chuck picked this. And he freaking knew what he was doing. Shut up, Chuck. You're not allowed to comment. Don't shake your head. You have to turn your camera off. JP and I are talking right now. I hit play. The theme song started, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm into it. But, you know, every 
anime show, even if people are dying horribly in it, every anime show has like an upbeat theme. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, Evangelion. Yeah, I know. Shut up with Evangelion. I don't want to talk about it. I, don't, I have issues. Anyway. But everyone has, like, this upbeat, exciting song. So I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I expected. It starts, and I kid you not, within, like, five minutes, I'm going, I'm invested in this. I want to see where it's going. By the end of it, I'm going, crap, I have to get ready for work because I'm supposed to start getting ready at, like, 5.30. Otherwise, I want to watch it again. Um, Just because it touches on... Something I kind of hinted at in our episode, last episode, we were talking about anime in general. Mm-hmm. And I said that anime has a way of treating kids' movies like they're not kids' movies. It's kind of like the concept Mr. Rogers had. I'm going to talk to you like you're a person, because we all experience the same thing. This movie nails that on every level. So if you're going, what the crap is he talking about? Watch this movie. It plays out as a kids movie i watched it going my kids would love this and yet it touched on so many things that like i wanted to cry at three o'clock in the morning based on the depth that it went to but in such a way that a child can understand it and relate to it and experience it and probably even explain it to you if you said like, well, what's the scene about the tree growing in the backyard when the dad looks out there and sees it? A kid could probably go, well, they were hoping that things would get better. Yeah. And I'd be like, holy crap, this movie nails it. And it's the first thing I've seen from this guy. And now I hate Chuck because I have like 900 movies to watch. So it's all your fault. Watch them but all anyway. your kids. But anyway, carry on. Maybe <laughs> I should binge that. Instead of Neon Genesis, and it, yeah, probably maybe it'll put you put you in a way better mood. I'm sure. Yeah, I need to binge all of his movies in one sitting. <laughs> you need to. That's you need, what to, I need to do. You definitely need to check out. Um, Ponyo is interesting, and you need to check out um, Spirited Way, which everybody sort of yeah. uni- unanimously says is a masterpiece, and probably Miyazaki's yeah, masterpiece. Well, I don't know if yeah, I agree. And, but... Yeah, and Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle are the two that I heard of when I didn't have a clue who he was. Um, and now I have to watch it, and that's your fault. So, <laughs> You're welcome. Um, watching this was... I watched it in the morning after I had woken up. And... <laughs> Me too. Three <laughs> no. Anybody? Anybody? It was actually a reasonable no. hour. Um, and while I was watching, I was like, this is like the perfect, like, just a morning movie. Like... I feel like it should be ha- have like a cup of tea while watching this and like a little biscuit or something or I guess rice. I don't know. Um, it's very uh, there's a sort of subset of cinema. OK, well, not really, not not officially. But uh, as you guys know, I, I'm a member of the uh, Letterboxd community, uh, which is a, a social media site. That is uh, where movie nerds hang out to review movies. It's basically Yelp for movies, though, if you really want to be sincere about it. Um, but one thing I like about Letterboxd is that people can curate. Like, they can create lists. And that's, like, my favorite thing about it. And um, someone made this list is actually quite popular in the Letterboxd community called Gentle Cinema. 
And it's it's a it's sort of a subset of movies that people discover like oh these are films that you could just kind of like they're peaceful uh, they're they're about pleasant people doing pleasant things there's very little drama very little conflict not much of a threat uh, and they're just it makes you feel lovely about the world and uh, this is this is like that you know um, there's not a whole lot of imminent. Uh, danger. Other films that kind of fit into this sort of category for me are movies like uh, the movie Once. I don't know if you guys remember that movie. Yeah. About the guy and the girl who fall in love and they just make music. Do um, I remember that movie? Yeah. I, I drug you to Sing Street and we loved it because it's the That's same, right, guy, the same guy that made that one. Yeah. And then you were like, oh, have you seen Once? Yeah, <laughs> no. I'm obsessed with that movie. There's the uh, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset movies that I really love. They're just with Ethan Hawke and, um, oh, God, what's her name? Julie Delpy. Julie Delpy, I think. Yeah. Um, that's just about, like, two people who fall in love in Austria. And uh, it takes place over three movies. The third movie is, like, not very chill at all. Like, I would not call that gentle cinema because they, like, hate each other. Yeah, so I kind of I co- equate this movie with sort of that sort of subset of Genema. Maybe that's what it's called, Genema. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, I really appreciated that about it, though. That it was, we're seeing the world through the eyes of these two children. And how just, like, authentic that was. Because it kind of reminds me of growing up. Uh, because I, I actually, like, growing up my family went through some like real ups and downs. You know, there were times where we, where we were like, had like everything we needed. And there were times where like, we we actually kind of experienced poverty, but, but but through all of it, you know, they were able to kind of like protect me from the emotional turmoil throughout all of it to where it's just like, Oh, we're just moving. You know, I saw my toys and like, I could still go outside and play and stuff. What I also kind of appreciate about it is, and I think I saw kind of appreciates about Japanese culture in general, which is sort of their views on like monsters and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of monsters, you know, Totoro is a monster. Yeah. But like in American culture, a monster has to be something repulsive, like something to fight, something to battle that always represents something kind of negative. Uh, I think in Japanese culture, like, and, you know, the universal monsters are, are somewhat empathetic. They're sympathetic in some, some, in some instances. Japan really mastered, like, the sympathetic monster, you know, uh, even making Godzilla a, a, like, like an antihero, which I think is sort of a, a feat into itself. Right. And, you know, and then that's, and I think that's sort of the fascinating thing about Totoro is that uh, he's a spirit, um, but it also kind of shows that a spirit is, is not something that's always, like, ambivalent. Or uh, malicious. The cat bus kind of freaks me out. I got to be honest about that. <laughs> yeah, I've got... it's a, it's a little it's a little weird. I I can also feel like I, I kind of relate to Totoro. Um, because there are parts that that scene, and I feel like we're going to talk about this scene a lot. They're at the bus stop, and he kind of appears. He's almost kind of like awkward about it because he's so big. And he doesn't really know how to, and like he can kind of. I feel like he's kind of in a moment where he's like he wishes he was kind of smaller, you know, to not be so like threatening. He has like that thing on his head, the leaf on his head, the leaf. Yeah, which I thought was kind of adorable. Um, you know, he's he's showed up. He's he showed up at that moment just to kind of reveal himself to to them, but he's 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 still kind of sheepish about it, and not 
it kind of not that self-aware about is like his size. He kind of makes his presence sort of approachable by being like small. But yeah, that that scene, by the way, in the rain, where he first shows up, uh, I clocked it. And I was fascinated by how long that was going on because it turns out it's it's like eight minutes long uh, between showing up at the bus stop and uh, their dad showing up at the end of it. And uh, and that's that's significant because the movie itself is like an hour, like an hour and 26 minutes long. Yeah, it's not a long movie. So, so like, yeah, so if like you a, take away credits, it's an hour 20. Yeah. Yeah. Even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So an hour 20. So you're talking like eight minutes devoted to one scene and i think i think that's that's pretty fascinating because a lot i think emotionally happens in that scene because that's one of these moments where that's that what i love about toto is that he shows up when these kids start to experience despair i think yeah well that that's what i noticed about it and why i wished i could follow chuck's advice and watch it with my kids because i was curious to see how they responded is i sat there and went this feels like it should be going on way too long <laughs> yeah. and yet and yet please don't end it like i'm just <laughs> sitting there i mean it's even lovely. before yeah. even before he shows up just the two of them waiting in the rain i was mm-hmm. like i don't know why i'm 100 invested in this and want to do nothing else but stand there in the rain with them the simple comment of hurry up she's slipping yeah like meant everything in that moment to me when I saw it. Like the fact that it's everything you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's standing in the rain. It's being miserable. It's forgetting your umbrella. It's realizing this is awful. I'm cold. I'm wet. I want to go home. Yeah. And yet there's an aspect of it, which is Totoro in this movie. There's an aspect of it where you're like, no, this is a moment I will never forget. And a moment I will hold on to for the rest of my life. I think this scene is kind of, for me, sort of, uh, I think, telling what the whole movie is about, which is I think it's about, you know, in those moments you're saying, you know, Chuck, their mom has tuberculosis. At least it's hinted at. And they're still trying to, like, kind of keep to get, keep it together. In those moments, you know, their childhood is kind of slipping, right? That the innocence is, is kind of slipping at that moment. But Totoro is, is there to like protect them from the despair, the creeping despair that like a child probably shouldn't experience. So can I blow your mind? Go ahead. I'm done. All right. So the movie is I've watched, I've watched this movie probably 50 times. No joke. And last night watching it again, I was paying attention to some more thematic stuff in it. And so it's clear to me that the movie is about, it's about change. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about change in a lot of ways, right? It's a coming of age film, but it's a but in in America we tend to make coming of age as like sexual, and yeah. this is not that, right? This is about emotional. This is emotional right. um, maturity and facing that thing, right? And so, all right, so the rain scene is iconic, and it's iconic for a reason because it was the first image of the movie that Miyazaki developed, okay. and so on the on the DVD menu of it is the very first image. It's also the poster for the movie. And if you pay attention, one of the little trivia things about it is that standing next to Totoro at the bus stop is one girl, not two girls. Hmm. And the reason is initially when they wrote the movie, it was just going to be one girl, and her name was Satsuki. But then they decided to split it up into two girls for the two ages so they could have the different perspectives of two ages, an innocent little child and a girl who's on the verge of 
you know, starting to become a woman. And their names are a clue because Satsuki is also the Japanese name for the month of May. And so May is named May as the audible equivalent to the month of May. Um, and so it's supposed to acknowledge the fact that they were originally one character split into two. Um, so we have a character whose name is Satsuki, who's the month of May. The movie opens in the month of June when they move. It goes through July and then into August. It is set in the year 1958. Um, the movie never outright says this, but people paying attention to the calendars and stuff have sort of figured this out. Um, in 1958, um, couple of things were happening. One is um, what the movie is partly about is not only dealing with this girl growing up and facing this emotional maturity piece, there is also wider cultural changes happening in Japan. Starting in the late 1950s and into the 60s, the, um, the, rural, pre the rural prefectures started becoming suburbs of Tokyo. And so Saitama Prefecture, which is where this film is set, um, slowly became, started becoming a bedroom community in Tokyo. In the 1980s, people were really concerned about the loss of those. And so Miyazaki made this film as a way to say, hey, remember how great these things are. We need to preserve them. We need these pockets of nature. We can't just bulldoze over everything and make it all city. Well, that process of urbanizing all of that area started in the, 19, in the late 1950s. And so the film is acknowledging that that change is happening and that this is something that's, that's disappearing. J Japanese Shinto religion is so so rooted to nature and you know Totoro being a forest spirit he's a kami he is a um he is he is a shinto deity who is appearing in a form that is recognizable to mei from a children's book if you notice in the credits she's reading a book that has a picture of Totoro on it um and so it's sort of embodying that this this concern of the loss of japanese of, of the japanese spirit and the japanese soul is happening through the through the um encroaching of urbanization. So that's change that's happening, marked the change of the seasons from summer, from spring and summer into fall. The other thing is, is that, and I just learned this, a major event happened in Japan, especially in that area of Japan on the island of Honshu in 1958, and that was Typhoon Ida. Um, Typhoon Ida came and devastated the area. Um, hundred and something thousand people were killed. Um, unprecedented flooding all throughout Tokyo and the surrounding areas. Um, happened and that and that also precipitated changes that were happening in the area, including um, the building of levees and things like that. So the fact that creeks and rivers play a big part in this, I think, is telling because those changed after um, the flooding that happened from tropic or from typhoon um, from typhoon Ida. Um, I think the movie hints at this with the really strong wind gusts that happen at the very beginning and the whole joke that the dad makes of like, oh, you know, you know, it would be funny you know, that this house blew down, considering we just bought it. Um, well, Typhoon Ida happened in September 1958, the month after this movie is set. So there's this clear, I think, indicator of things that are changing, things that would have been known to uh, the Japanese population at the time and these changes that were coming down. Um, the end result, of course, of this movie is that it, it inspired Japanese, uh, the Japanese people to do more into preserving these agricultural rural areas. Um, and in fact, in the real world, uh, Saitama province, they, um, or sorry, Saitama prefecture, they've built a, they built a model home of the Kusakabi's house um, that you can now like actually go visit um, as part of this whole conservation effort kind of thing. 
Um, but that to me is that's sort of the theme of the movie is it's about these changes that are happening, not only in this girl's life, but this girl's life is symbolic of what's happening in overall Japanese culture and the importance of preserving it in the same way that it's important to preserve the innocence and simplicity of childhood. Chuck, every time you talk, can I just say shut up because I can't handle how much you're blowing my mind away um, because everything you're saying is putting so many layers on how I felt when I watched this movie. Cause let's just say, you know, the whole death of the author experience, the explanation that the author writes it for one reason, you feel it another way, the way I felt it entirely lines up with everything you're saying, even though I had no clue the history you're talking about. And what that is, is to me, Totoro actually expressed, grief and loss like pain and inside out and Totoro in a way in this movie and honestly sorry Pixar and Disney because I love you but in a better deeper way expressed how grief and pain is also part of joy and growth Totoro is grief pain and loss over dealing with what's going on with their mother and what she's dealing with. And yet, that is what causes them to grow and experience life and joy, is to deal with the grief, pain, and loss. And you're saying the same thing on a national level, and that just, like, you turn my world upside down, and I don't actually want to talk to you anymore, because <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what else to say. First of all, Chuck, that's amazing insight. I didn't know about any of that <laughs> i knew it took place Absolutely. in 1958 that's what i knew that's that's my the extent of my research another scene i think is sort of uh, that a key to what chuck was saying about how it's about growth and retaining a childhood uh innocence um is the scene with uh the acorns mm-hmm. um, loved 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 it but carry on go ahead which uh brings up some other um Issues that like a lot of people apparently debate about with this movie is whether or not Totoro is real. They use that they kind of use the scene a lot to sort of illustrate that. Um, Sorry, I just hate how much you guys are like ripping apart every thought I had. So the scene. So what I find interesting about that scene is okay, Totoro gives them their the little acorn gift, and then uh, May makes a little garden out of the acorns, and um, Satsuki is writing her letter to mom saying that you know May is like is like checking on them every single day and watching and waiting for them to sprout and they're not doing anything and it's and it's making her crabby this is her as a crab which i thought was pretty funny wait hold on stop because now i need to know what's the what was the actual because i thought the joke was hilarious like jp did so i want to know the real one because i bet it's better i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly the joke is that it's related to that idea of her like going and coming back, coming back and forth, that whole thing that oh, yeah. her behavior is like a crab. And so that's why she drew her as a crab, but it wasn't like meant to be like crabby in the See? sense of understand somebody being no. irritated, but okay, they, so... they couldn't make it work without. Yeah. There's some sort of it's Japanese funny. idiot. No, let so... me, let me, let me, let me masters of divinity this. Perfectly. Because that's exactly what I got from it is what Chuck just said that. It's like she's getting upset and angry and whatever and crabs and this and that and here's her as a crab. <laughs> is I got it as this like dual meaning of haha funny she drew her as a crab like my kid would 
but also explains so much more. But then Chuck explains an understanding of what it means and the language and the mistake that we made. It's the same thing I got from it, but so much deeper. So let me masters of divinity of it and say, that's what happens when you like start to study Greek and Hebrew with the Bible is like you read it and you get mm-hmm. the same truth, but then you start to break it down and what it originally meant. And it's the same truth. You're not learning anything new. You just see so many more angles to see it from. I don't want to be an anime nerd. Well. <laughs> so stop turning me into one. I'm, I don't like it. I don't like um. it. This but beats Winnie the Pooh, and I'm mad at you for it. <laughs> um, but anyway, but getting back to like what I was saying about the the, the, the acorns, they're waiting for the for she's, she's waiting for the acorns to grow, and then um, she, Satsuki writes her letter, and then uh, Totoro and his little uh, minions show up late at <clears> night, <throat> and they go outside, and they have this really beautiful moment where the, the acorns grow into a giant tree right in front of them. And they're kind of they're kind of doing it right. I think that they're because they're they're like motioning their arms, like making it go up and up because he keeps lifting his umbrella, and like the one little guy eats his umbrella, so that was pretty funny. Um, and they make this giant tree, and they're just like celebrating. They're like, "Yeah, we knew it would happen." And even the dad kind of looks. I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, but then the next morning, you know, they go to bed, they wake up, and they go outside. The tree is gone; it's not there. But uh, the acorn. But the hope is. The, the, the acorns have sprouted. Um, so it's it's on one on one level. This is like okay. Does this mean he's real or not? I don't know. Did this actually happen? Because even Sasuke said, "I thought it was a dream," and like man's like, "No, it wasn't a dream. It was real." But like, but also how like how they react to it is like, yeah, we saw this happen, but we're not like shocked that the tree went away. We're shocked that, that it sprouted. So on one level, it's like, is he real? Second level is what you're talking about, Chuck, about um, about about growing, which is that you can't just like wait for yourself to grow up. You have to, uh, you know, just like live your life in the moment and it'll grow. It'll happen. What I'm saying is goes hand in hand with what you're saying about the history of Japan and all the, uh, the development issues and stuff, which is like, let's not force ourselves into the modern era. Let's just let it happen, <laughs> you know. We can, or we can. By, that way, we can preserve uh, what we have. What makes us who we are. I don't want to be an anime nerd. Are you liking it too much? Saying, is that what you're saying? Everything. It's like, yeah. Everything. Everything you're saying. It's just film analysis. Is, yeah. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going home tonight to watch another one of his movies, and I want to punch you both in the nose for it. Oh, which one are you going to watch? Ponyo. It's got Liam Neeson's. Liam Neeson's. Okay, first, As a fish? Of all, first of all, absolutely, I was already sold on that when you said Liam Neeson's in our last episode. <laughs> second of all, no, it's got to be Howl's Moving Castle simply because I'm tired of hearing that title and not knowing what it is. Wasn't it just called so, a flying gonna, castle? Like, is that the original? Or I Castle I in the Sky? So. Castle I in the Sky? I thought so because I also thought it was moving something else, but then I saw that and I'm like, I'm not totally confused. But what I'm finding out is that's because I'm a dumb american idiot who doesn't understand depth and like thinking and japanese anime is so far above me that i can't even remember the freaking titles of the movies right yeah much less see the movie and begin to grasp what they're actually about but at four o'clock in the morning the tree scene messed with me in a way you will not understand 
because I'm like, is it real? Is it not real? Is it true? Is it not true? Yeah. And then at the end of it, what I realized is nobody cares whether it's true or not true. The truth behind it is true. And that made me mad because it's so deeper <laughs> well, also than adults, everything I thought I loved. Probably adults just can't see them because they can't see the cat buzz. No, I thought their dad the saw it. No, I yeah, heard well, I did their too. dad saw it. He looked out the window. He saw them up playing the little flute, whatever instrument. Yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> again. I, I'm white and I suck. I don't know what it's called. But they're playing uh, it. And what is it, Chuck? It's an ocarina. It's ocarina. Oh, okay. ocarina. Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. Yeah, Water oh, Temple. Come on. They're playing it and the dad looked out, saw it, smiled, and was all happy about it. So I was like, oh, it's real. And then they woke up and it's gone. And I'm like, crap, I have to go to work in an hour. Yeah. And I hate it. But go ahead, carry on. Well, the final chapter of this movie, which I, I'm going to say is like the last act, last 30 minutes, uh, is also one that sort of fascinates me because the, the things start to become a little bit unstable. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's like a there, it, what's interesting about it is because it's sort of like a it's a change in in the mundanity that have, has sort of happened, which is like everyone's expecting mom to come home. Mom's not coming home though. And it just, like, tears everyone apart. When I say everyone, I mean Asatsuki and May. They all have their own way of dealing with it. May is, like, angry. It's not because she keeps yelling it. It's not fair. It's not fair. And Satsuki gets mad at her. And the part that stuck out to me, what really sets, I think, this whole act, this last 30 minutes off, is when she tells May, um, you're such a baby, just grow up. And the very next scene after that is when they're back at the house and they're in separate rooms laying on the floor um, while Granny is sort of cleaning up and doing things. And she's trying to go, yeah, I'm going to help, help me fold clothes. That, that always helps. <laughs> <You know? laughs> of course, we're in Japan. Yeah. Um, so, and that's, and that's what Marie I'm saying. Like, she knows. Yeah, she knows. Um, <laughs> let's get rid of everything that doesn't spark joy. Bye, May. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> by the by the way, this this ties nicely, and we'll do this eventually into how our whole like minimalist and uh, all that culture ties together. This, but, but anyway, go ahead. Just the whole idea of get rid of everything. Um, don't. Get but rid I think this is when it becomes not so gentle because that's where a lot, most of the tension of the movie is is in the last thirty minutes um, because May gets lost. Satsuki is literally running all over God's creation. Uh, looking for her and also like trying to like run back and forth by like, getting a telegram and phone calls and stuff. Um, and um, when it all comes to a head is when she like she finds Totoro. And I think what's really interesting is um, when he tells her that everything it's ha- when she tells him everything that's happening, he lets out one of his roars. Um which I feel like is kind of a callback to when they're in the bath with, with dad and they're scared that the house is being blown down and he just starts laughing. He's like, if you find something to laugh about, you won't be scared. And I think that was sort of like Toro, like telling her to chill, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yeah, see, for me, I see in that, I, I see it as a kid. No, no, as, no. Aslan's roar, like Aslan summoning. 
Well, that, that, well, that, I'm saying that's, I think that's the second time he roars, I think. Because he, gotcha. po- he okay. pops up on top of the tree and he does the roar again. And that's right. when he summons a cat bus. But I'm talking about the first roar because she's on top of him, like, telling him, like, Maze, Maze, we got blah, 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 and all this stuff, bad stuff is happening. And he just roars. And, like, she, she like, it's quiet all of a sudden. And I feel like that's sort of him being, like, calm down. Because to me, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think, I think Totoro is super aware of what they're going through. And he's, like, protecting them from losing their child from, from, from that, from losing their innocence. Hmm. But Matt really wants to get a thought out, and I'm going to give him I his time. hate <laughs> you both. You, you talked about the roar and the dad laughing, and it touches on this concept that has been, like, constantly following me around right now. And this stupid Stephen King podcast I listen to, <laughs> and some other random thing I wa- read somewhere about how horror and comedy are basically the same thing. That yeah. like laughing, laughing and screaming are almost identical. They're both your body responding to shock. Yeah. So somebody shocks you and you laugh, you're comforted by it somebody shocks you and you scream you get afraid of it you like shun it and run away from it whereas they're both just chemical responses going what the heck happened and responding to it so what you just said jp tied into what chuck has said and how i hate both of you because my life doesn't mean anything right now is how they're dealing with this grief and loss and sorrow and yet when totoro screams it's the laugh it's not the cry. It's the dad laughing in the tub that you literally just said, which I wish I was in Oklahoma. <laughs> so right now I could like flick him in the face and walk away again. But you literally said it emphasized the dad's laugh. And I would never in my life had connected yeah. the two of those together. And they're 100% connected together. One is the comedy response to trauma and surprise. The other is the desperate despair response the cry and yet growth happens when you realize that the cry because jp i'm getting ready to tie together what you said and make you realize why i hate you right now when you realize that the loss and the hopelessness and the sorrow and everything you're dealing with when you cry out together the unity that that brings the two characters chuck don't talk that were meant to be one that are now two characters are brought back together as one character because of the sorrow the suffering the loss the pain that they realize this is one of the greatest things in life because it unites us in a way that nothing else could it brings us together in a way that nothing else could have it reached us and helped us experience the joy quote laughter of life because of the loss sorrow and pain that we're feeling right so that that brought out the joy and yes. i hate you both because i think i just became an anime fan <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not happy about it I'm it's probably happy. gonna happen it's probably gonna happen I'm not happy. um this this series is done now. We're not doing the other episodes. I can't handle yeah. it. Oh, the cat bus. So the cat bus is one another one of those lost in translation things that I had to like do some reading up on a while back um, yeah. to kind of try to understand it. 
and that Hold is. Hold on, I gotta wait. I gotta brace myself for this oh, next life-changing thing. Go ahead. It's nothing ahead. that crazy. It's just yeah. in Japan. In Japan, there is among in, in Japanese folklore is this belief that some cats can be immortal, and that if they're immortal, they get the opportunity to choose to sort of be whatever they want. And so the cat bus is an immortal cat who just chose to be a bus because he wanted to be a bus. <laughs> That's funny. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It just basically means. Let me put it into my understanding as the first time viewer of this movie. It just basically means that if you live as an immortal, <laughs> you become the thing that connects desperation to joy and realizes that the two become one in a way that causes you to grow. There is a there is a short sequel to this movie that was it's called Matt. Um, it's called um, May and the Kitten Bus. And it only plays at the Miyazaki like museum in Japan, right. or the the Studio Ghibli like uh, thing in Japan. And apparently, it features a cat train, a cat like there's like a whole bunch of like cat vehicles. Um, I'd be really fascinated to see it. But that's a um, theme park waiting to happen, buddy. Yeah. Well, apparently, <laughs> at the at the Ghibli at like the Ghibli Museum or whatever, they have like a life size plush cat bus that kids can play wow. in. That's amazing. Um, but so um so yeah the cat bus is just sort of like this weird folkloric thing that just doesn't really translate like i still don't get it but <laughs> um you know but the um the but every time i watch it i do think of my mother-in-law who is like super allergic to cats and i just keep thinking like if she sat in that bus she would be like dead yeah, <laughs> yeah. um that was, but, that was, but the question that was the, me growing up yeah. Okay. So the you know the film has like you know multiple encounters with Totoro. Right. May encounters Totoro by herself. The next time they encounter, it's together. Like the next two encounters are together, mm -hmm. and then the third encounter is you know is just Satsuki. It's the only time she has her encounter. I um, I was, I went down an internet rabbit hole yesterday, and I was found out some stuff. I was randomly reading some stuff about contemporary Japanese literature. You know, like you do, and I uh, found out a bunch of like. Japanese feminist authors that I'm kind of now wanting to check out. And um, they, but one of the things they meant that, that this article about the, about their, their writing and why it's a big deal is that, um, is that there's been a lot of stuff now with Japanese women writing stories about their approaches to Japanese tradition, which is, you know, very patriarchal. Um, and one, just having that in my mind while watching this last night, I was really struck by the scene that when, when, when Satsuki is running to go to Totoro, she has a moment where she stops at the shrine steps, the traditional entrance to the shrine, which is where she would encounter Totoro. Mm -hmm. But instead she keeps running around. She hops over the Creek and she goes in where may first showed her. And so here so you, you have a young woman not going, not approaching the deity from a traditional standpoint but basically sort of following the tradition she knows works, which is already kind of an interesting thing. Um, but she, but she goes in and she finds Totoro there. And, and so that's the piece that stands out to me is that she's confronted with the opportunity to do it in a traditional way, but she doesn't. Right. Um, and, you know, and it's like, there's that moment where she's like, okay, if I go up these steps and go in there, maybe I, maybe I'll encounter him, but I've done that before and he didn't show up. Mm -hmm. But I know that may met him when she went this other way. And there, there's this element of sort of like, 
May showed me the way. The more childlike one showed me the way. The more innocent one showed me the way. And so I'm going to go that path rather than the one that's been built up for me. Yeah. Can I, can I Masters of Divinity for a second again? Okay. It's I, was setting you up. I was setting you up for this, so go for it. Unless you have childlike faith, you can't approach the kingdom of God? Yep. I mean, like, hello. First of all, <laughs> I want to repeat again how much I hate you both right now. <laughs> so much hate. Yeah, there's a lot of hate for a Miyazaki episode. Jeez. I'm he would be so upset with you. He'd be he'd like lecture you. I'm, like... I'm 36 years old and now I'm an anime fan? I hate you both. <laughs> anyway. So, but yeah. No, it's, yeah. You, first this of my, all, yeah, yeah. just change my life with a stinking little cartoon movie like reading... Like watching Winnie the Pooh for the first time and realizing nothing means anything. This movie, everything you're saying is like insanely deep and yet so simple. It's like, how did I not see it already? But when you watch the movie, oh yeah, I get it. And again, sorry, JP, I'll let you talk right after this again to Masters of Divinity It again. This movie's a freaking parable. It's a story that's so simple to understand if you want to understand it. If you don't want to understand it, it looks like nonsense. A little girl and her sister move into a house. It's falling down. They meet a little monster, and he makes her life happy by growing a tree while their mom is dying. And you go, what the crap is that? But if you want to understand it, it's a story about how in order to be a complete human being, in order to grow, in order to reach maturity, you have to go through grief and somehow deal with the chaos, the connection between adulthood and childhood that brings you back together as one complete thing going, I have a childlike faith with an adult understanding of how the world works. And if you can do that, that's joy then it well, doesn't matter what happens because you have a childlike faith with an adult understanding which is impossible because we're human beings and we suck but christianity talks about it and this stinking movie illustrated it far beyond what i understood i started to but far beyond what i understood until you two started talking and i hate you Think about May. I mean, May is May is faith. I mean, that's her whole thing, right? I mean, she encounters the Totoro while she's out playing, looking for something to do, yeah. and yeah. she she yeah. wants to believe, and that's the only thing you see she, through her. I mean, the whole determined, the whole determined running around with a piece of corn is simply <laughs> because Granny said, "I bet if your mother ate yes. my corn, she would be healed." And so May believes wholly that that little thing will bring her mother home. And that's what that whole deal oh. is about. So the statues, the one that they, they, they go to the shrine in during the rain, and then there's a whole bunch of them when, when May is found. Yeah. In, yeah, uh, that's what I was going to ask you what those were. In, 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 in Japanese folkloric tradition, these are spirits that, that oversee travelers, <laughs> but particularly children. So this Miyazaki guy, he knows what he's doing. That's what you're saying. Like, he... I think he knows, he knows a thing or two. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> I um, think, I think I just went from not really caring about <laughs> anime 
to this guy is my favorite person ever, and I apparently, hate you. Well, this happens to everybody, Matt. You think you're the only one? Like, Miyazaki fans are rabid. No, I hope that I'm at least the voice of everybody else listening right now, because right now, I'm annoyed at how far I went from, yeah, this is cool, let's do an anime month, to... <laughs> No, I need more. And I need Wait until you watch it. next week's. It's like a total about face. Like, Wait, watch what? <laughs> next week. What are you making me watch next week? No, you'll see. We're, no, we're not. We're not the end of the episode. We should be getting to the end, though. I guess one last thing I'd like to say. I think. I think this movie qualifies as a hangout film. Uh, which is sort of a subset of movies that uh, Quentin Tarantino kind of set, kind of, kind of made up on his own. That like these movies are hangout movies, like movies like American Graffiti. Um, you know, Rio Bravo, or recently, well, he made Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, where it's like, it's mostly about, I mean, I mean, there's certainly... Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah, I think Big Lebowski would be a hangout film, um, even though there it's, definitely is a very straightforward narrative in Big Lebowski. Um, it's... But may he, I say... Yeah. No, go ahead. Nope. Well, I was going to say, what mostly characterizes a hangout film is, um, you know, you can admire it for its camera work, for its editing, for its technique, and you definitely can do that for... Totoro. I mean, it's it's a, a, a gorgeous, beautiful, flawless uh, work of art uh, visually. Uh, sound, uh, sound design, music, everything is so beautiful. But I think what you're what you're really doing is you're spending time with the characters, yeah. Which is what it's all about, and you're hang you're hanging out with them, and they're kind of hanging out too. <laughs> like they're just living their lives. There's no like, there isn't like a, a goal set up in the first act, and like Satsuki's like running after that goal the entire movie. You know, so did yeah, you know that it's... apparently the studio felt this movie was not going to do well, yeah. and they and they stuck it to Grave of the Fireflies because <sighs> they because <sighs> they as a double feature, yeah. Oh, uh, oh boy, <laughs> I've heard uh, some horror stories on that one. Yeah, I've never seen that movie. It's about two children, sort of like I think what it, it's it's sort of them trying to make do after like losing everything at the end of the Second World War. I mean, it's yeah. Um. But um, well, your title has grave about... in it. It's probably not going to be. Uh... Yeah. yeah, but it was based on it was ba- it was based on a, a well-received novel, and so they figured people would go see that, and they would maybe stay to check out Totoro. Oof. Um, and of may... course, in the long run, I mean, both both movies are very celebrated films, but I think yeah. in the long run, Totoro had the lot the lasting impact. Interesting. I mean, it, it would it would if it's like if it's serving as therapy for watching Grave of the Fireflies, right? Like. <laughs> But yeah, they. But that's basically they were like, nobody's gonna go see a movie about about girls hanging out with monsters in the woods. That's like what they were told. That's what Miyazaki was told. But he was like, I think I've got something here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all I can say is I, I definitely w- will be one of those weird dudes who has a Totoro plushie because I I want one. <laughs> My kids have Totoro and Cat Bus. Nice. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a cat bus. Why not? My, my, my. And those little Totoros too. Those are cool. I like those guys. Chuck, uh, any last last thoughts as we uh, come to the end of our, our first episode on my neighbor Totoro? No, I'm just excited you guys finally got to see it, and that it was as well received as well received as it was. I, um, it's it's such a, it it's one of those things like again like Matt said at the beginning. It's it's a movie that's so weird on paper, mm-hmm. and that just if you know if you're like. If you're you're not interested, like if you have sort of an idea of what anime is, and I'm like, hey, you should check out this movie, and you look at the the the, the poster of it, and you just see like the big teddy bear monster next, you're like, oh god, like the image <laughs> the image is going to like give you an idea of a movie that is not exactly what you get. 
Um, and it, and I can't really sell it by saying like, well, it's actually about these two little girls sort of like in their summer together. Because that already has like a built in just mile long list of tropes that you're like, right. oh, I got to go through all those and I got to experience all that again. I've seen all these movies. I'm like, no, there's like n- none of that's here. Yeah. It's it's basically like, do you remember those moments when you had when you were bored? Those moments when you were bored during the summer but you also have like weird fond feelings about. Yeah. That's what this movie is. Hey, did you say you read Roger Ebert's uh, review of it? Yeah. I actually just read it before I started. Cause time. I read it too. <laughs> and I actually thought it was pretty cool. How he like listed all of the tropes and like these kinds of coming of age yeah. movies. And he's like, none of that happens. Like there's yeah. no scene where like the dad doesn't believe them and is like, ah, oh, go whatever, whatever. And they have to go save the world on their own. Mr. Kusakabe is like the dad I aspire to be. Yeah, <laughs> he's a good dad. I... He's so gentle and affirming to his daughters. I love it. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I agree. But anyway, go ahead. I also want. I also really, really want that truck from the beginning of the movie. The little like three wheel, like uh, okay, pottery <laughs> truck. There's a guy here in Hawaii who has one kind of like that, and they 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 use it just to go back and forth to the surf spot that I go to, and I'm always That's like, <laughs> Chuck found the perfect. And I hate you, Father Chuck. While I love you, you know that. Love you. But I hate you, too. He found the perfect gateway drug to anime. You hit play on this, and you're like, crap, I want to know what else there is. And I had two shows that I liked, but now I'm going, oh, those two shows were like seven levels up on an adult understanding, but drastically low on the understanding of how these cartoons, these anime, these Japanese art-drawn figures express things in a way that we can't possibly put into words, and yet they put it on paper, computer, all the stuff they've done. They somehow put it on there to where when you watch it, you relate to it from, like, a hundred different angles as an adult and if you're a child you would just be like awesome this gets me because it shows this movie alone shows despair it shows hopelessness it shows depression it shows giving up but what is it about it's about hope it's about joy it's about unity And it's about how somehow, as human beings, if we're able to hold on to what makes us a human being, all of these these things only bring us closer together. If we are able to actually be together and hold on to each other, everything we experience only makes us more complete. It only makes us more adult. It only makes us better than we could have been if we go through all of this together and realize we're all going through this together. So I say all that to say, put a freaking mask on your face because I have to deal with all your children in school. And uh, Matt, you need to go to the Murakami. You need to go to the Murakami now that you've seen this movie. Cause they don't I, really, like... I really, really, really don't. Because I can't <laughs> give up the rest of my life to anime, and I can't handle it. 
It's, it's just it's a beautiful Japanese me. garden, and it evokes the stuff that you see on the screen. It just, it's just don't turn me into the stereotype guy you talked about last time. They also <laughs> do a Miyazaki. They also do a Miyazaki festival every year, and you watch watch these movies on the theater. I'm gonna walk into a room, and other people are gonna run from me because of how this creepy looking guy's in the corner watching anime, and I blame you both for this movie. Stop it. We have to put an end to this series. Matt, uh, Matt has love, found a new fandom, enjoy. and it's fascinating to watch nope, nope, unfold. Nope, nope. Next, now, what's next, next week? Time. So. A brony. I'm going to be a brony <laughs> next week. <laughs> That's the path. Um, okay, so. <laughs> he just threw his oh, it's phone. Like the end, it's like the end of Blair Witch. All right. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to go stand in the corner. So next week's movie um, isn't about face. It's not, not as uh, pleasant as this one. Um, <laughs> I don't think... me. I need it. Well, I don't think it'll be, it'll be super mind-blowing because I feel like a lot of modern-day blockbusters, especially science fiction and action genre, um, have, like, have been like super influenced by it. So you're probably going to watch me like, Oh, I've probably seen this movie like a billion times. Without seeing this <laughs> Blame movie. the matrix. Go ahead. Yeah. Inspire the matrix too. Um, sure? <laughs> it's, we're going to be watching, uh, Akira, which is sort of the kind of like, I guess it was like the first we were talking about in the last uh, episode. It was like the first one to kind of br- break, uh, anime into the mainstream. And it was the first one I ever watched. Um, I hate and, you. Where can, I, where can I watch it, JP? Yeah, good question. Uh, <laughs> it's on Hulu. Oh, nice. Okay, good. You guys have Hulu, right? Oh, yeah, I have. It's that, it's that simple. Just put it on. I wanted to not be able to watch it. I'm mad <laughs> that it's easy. Oh, I'm watch mad. it. Don't be yelling That's Tetsuo it. in no time. Yeah, we'll, I'll, we'll all just be yelling each other's names next week, um, which is, yeah. Uh, by the way, can I use uh, one of your guys' Hulu accounts <laughs> to watch it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, you can have mine. We'll talk. Harry, I mean, no, JP, you have to pay for your own. <laughs> we'll uh, if talk. any of our listeners out there want to donate a copy, uh... <laughs> yeah, because JP will never use somebody's account. How's the Mandalorian <laughs> on my Disney Plus? Just that. That's <laughs> it's really good. Um, the season season two comes out soon. By the way, we're gonna talk. <laughs> we're gonna have episodes. Trust me. Carry on. Um, so yeah, next. So check that out. Go and find uh, Akira, which is playing on Hulu. And also, if you don't have a subscription anywhere, it's also playing on the site called Tubi. Uh, unfortunately, there are ads you have to endure. Uh, but who knows? Maybe you don't care about that. Maybe you're not like me and Chuck. I don't know. <laughs> we just like would rather drown ourselves and watch another ad um so yeah akira check it out and uh thank you so much for watching listening don't forget to like subscribe wait, wait, leave wait, a comment wait wait, wait, wait. Yeah. wait before people think i was high roading jp i just gotta say the only reason i tease him about stealing my hulu and disney plus account is because my wife pays for them i can't so i just gotta, <laughs> i just gotta put that in perspective i'm teasing him but it's not actually a high road. Okay. Like, subscribe, and leave a leave a comment somewhere. Uh, and join us again next week. Have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good journey. Good.